Our scripture for this morning is Psalm 133. If you are physically able, I want to invite you um, to stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Like it is like precious oil poured down on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Let's pray. God, we come to you. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you for your blessings. And God, this morning I pray that you would help us to understand a particular blessing which the psalmist describes Father, that we would not overlook it, but we would appreciate it. And Father, we would strive uh, to have it. Father, we would, we would understand how important it is because your word, Lord, not only informs us, it transforms us. It changes us to be more like Jesus. And that is what we desire. That is what we request. That is what we call, uh, Father, for you to do. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's some joys. I use the term lightly. But there are some joys in life that I really believe the younger generation misses out on. And one of those joys is a real experience of a family road trip in the way that it used to be. Because a family road trip in the old days, it was just a kind of a different animal. You know, the speed limit wasn't 65 or 70, it was 55. Uh, There were no tablets, DVD players, cell phones, you know, built-in infotainment systems. Um, You know, and and if you were to ask how many um, seats does this vehicle have, the answer would be as many people as we got in the family. You know, I mean, it didn't matter the number of seatbelts in the car. The family, however many, was going to slide in there and fit in there somehow. Everybody was not nice and neat and comfy in their own little seat-belted little place. It was just get in and, you know, and, and there was constant some kind of aggravation. If it wasn't, are we there yet? It was, he's touching me. She's on my side. You know, I'm thirsty. I got to go to the bathroom. There was constantly something going on. And then there was the ever-present threat. You never wanted to hear those words, don't make me pull over. Because whenever you heard those words, you were like, you know, you sat like this because you knew once that wheel started, sort of, I mean, look, if dad tried to avoid a pothole, you had like a mini heart attack. And you okay, he was just avoiding the turtle or the pothole. Because you knew when that vehicle went over to the side, it was bad. Everybody's getting out and bad things were going to happen if you were a child in that vehicle. 
And kids nowadays, I mean, they're not even aware that time's passing. They've watched a movie. They've chatted with their friends. They just don't even hardly understand the torture that family road trips used to be. And so there can still be, you know, some, some disagreements. But now as a dad myself, and even getting beyond the stage of having little kids to older ones, now I understand so much that I didn't understand about my parents, especially my father. And when he would say things, my parents would say things like, can't you just get along? You know, can't you just give me a moment's peace? Can't you just be quiet, you know? And, or mom's saying, use your inside voice and all these kind. I know, I always thought, they're so boring. You know, gosh, what, what's all this? All they ever want is peace. Don't they want fun? I mean, we're just trying to have fun. And, you know, I just didn't understand all that kind of stuff back then. But, you know, peace, the older I get, the more important peace is to me. And, and in the Bible, Peace is a really important thing, not just for families in general, but for the family of God. And not only in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. And here in Psalm 133, as a portion of one of the Psalms of Ascent, and that is a special section of the Psalms, a collection of Psalms, known as the Psalms of Ascent, Ascent as in rising upward. These were special psalms that would be sung or recited as the pilgrims were marching their way up toward Mount Zion, up toward the city of Jerusalem. They would sing and say these psalms. And Psalm 133 was part of that collection. It was in their hymn book, so to speak, okay? It was one of the favorites that you might have said the instrumentalists knew this one by heart, okay? And they would sing this song on the way to worship in Jerusalem. And this song says how blessed it is when brothers live in unity. Or we might say how awesome it is when my kids give me a moment of peace, when my kids actually get along, how good it is. You know, I started off with Caleb and Courtney, and, uh, you know, they assumed their roles very soon, and it was, it was very interesting. But then a few years later, God just added to our family, and, and Denise and Marin came into the picture, and that was really interesting because Marin had been an only child, and, you know, Caleb, he had only had one sister to do his brotherly duty, but now he could do his brotherly duty with another sister. And by brotherly duty, of course, he meant that he was going to prepare her for life, teaching her how to put up with all the mean and nasty people that would bother her later on. He would prepare her for that. And so he would just pick and say little things and, you know, and we would deal with this. And I remember having, having to have separate talks with Caleb. Now, Courtney knows to ignore you by now, okay? But she doesn't know this. you got to be a, a little bit kinder, a little bit softer. And then we take her to the side and we say, Now, Marin, if he knows that it gets to you, he's going to go harder at it. So you got to pretend that it doesn't bother you, you know? And I remember all these things. And, you know, finally over the years, that just got better. And there's this sense of, ah, there's peace. And just like that kind of, it's great when peace grows in an individual family. It's great when there's peace in God's family. And the psalmist says the same thing. 
Back in the day when the people of Israel, they had times of disgruntlement, of, of complaining, of difficulty. And then they also had times of great peace. And he wanted people to understand how awesome peace was. And so he gave a couple of examples. And what was interesting, um, we quote Psalm 133.1 all the time, or you see it all the time. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You see that verse a lot. It's, it's out there. And I was very tempted to stop right there and just preach on that verse because it's easy. It's, it's easy to understand. It's not hard. You start reading down in verse 2 and 3, and it gets a little bit interesting. And let's, So let's talk about it. I decided just to go there. We're going to talk about interesting and try to kind of get a handle on this. Verse 2 says this. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Do what? You know, I, I mean, I have to say, I'm like, okay, unity is a good thing. Now oil's dumped over my head. And I'm starting to try to figure this out. And my first thoughts, I immediately, I start thinking, well, you know, I don't really use a, use a lot of product, but I understand there's guys who really, who don't trim as much as me and they use beard oil. I mean, I know there is such a thing and they use a lot of products, you know, and, and, but I, I had to keep thinking about this and, and keep reading and keep studying and then. I realized this isn't, because I was like, surely the average, you know, regular Israelite back then didn't just wake up every morning and, hey, let me just douse myself with oil every day and let it run down over my face, into my beard, and into my, onto my collar. I mean, that doesn't sound like a pleasant experience. So what's the point? But I kind of got it when I realized it talked about running down on Aaron's beard. Okay, this wasn't just anybody. This was Aaron, the high priest. So what was this? Oil was used for anointing. And so what's being described here is the joyous occasion when a new high priest was anointed. And, you know, these people in the Old Testament, look, they were not the frozen chosen. Whenever they got, uh, had a religious celebration, they got excited. They got happy. They shouted to the Lord. When it says that in the psalm, they literally shouted to the Lord. They played cymbals and drums, and they, did all, they danced before the Lord. They did all kinds of things. So whenever they had a celebration, they really celebrated. And the installation, the anointing of a new high priest was this major, amazing uh, display of celebration for the people of Israel. And I know it's saying all that, it's still hard for us to say. They got all excited about oil being dumped over someone's head. Well, we're a long way from them, but people are people. But let's try Let's try to change this imagery just a tiny bit. What if we were trying to explain something to those people, say, 3,000 years ago from all our culture? You know, what would the, the comparison be? 
Well, imagine them trying to understand why a bunch of big, tall men would all of a sudden be carrying a large pitcher full of orangish or greenish liquid, very cold, iced-down liquid, and dumping it over the head of maybe a slightly older and shorter man. Okay, and we're talking about the Gatorade whenever a coach wins a championship. There's that feeling of elation when we win the big one and the Gatorade gets dumped on the head. And would that normally be a, a pleasant experience? Absolutely not. But in the moment, you don't even care. Some of them look and try to duck it, but most of them just take it, right? They kind of, that cold hits them, but then they're celebrating because it's an amazing moment. And what he's describing here in the Psalms is that kind of celebration. The joy when a new high priest, it begins a new cycle, a new season. It's like a championship for the nation of Israel. He says the unity of the people is like that. It's awesome. Then he gives a second example. He says, it is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. Okay, here is where you need geography. Guess what? I'm bad at U.S. geography, much less biblical geography, but I have some commentaries and nice little things that tell me that Mount Hermon and Mount Zion or Jerusalem are about 200 miles apart. And Mount Hermon has... Uh, is pretty much known for actually being a place that in that area that's often very dry and arid, there's actually a pretty decent amount of moisture there. But he's saying, imagine a time which was so blessed and, and how good life would be if dew covered the entire region from Mount Hermon all the way down to Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, it's not a big country. Land-wise, size-wise, it's not a big country at all. He's basically saying, what if our whole country was blessed with all the rain, with all the blessing, with, with, we just had an abundance of everything we needed, an overflow. That is what unity among God's people is like. Some of you probably have not quite put it out of your heads yet. A couple of weeks ago, or maybe less, somewhere around that time, uh, there was this change in the weather. And you woke up one morning and you went out, and instead of blistering heat, even at seven in the morning, there was a cool there was a breeze. There was even a different smell to the air. And when me and Denise went out for our walk, we were like, this smells like fall. This feels like fall. And I was already telling her, like, it's not fall. She knows it's not fall. But I'm just like, I know it's going to get hot again. I know it's going to be terrible again. But right now, we had this little bitty taste of fall. And it was like, thank you, Lord, because I know this is only going to last a day or two but just this reminder that fall actually exists. It's not a figment of my imagination that I've made up. It is going to come again. It's not going to be hot like this forever. Just that little taste of it was just 
awesome, and then it went back to being dreadfully hot. But, but that was just, just like I said, the feel, the temperature, the breeze. I mean, it was probably one of those hurricanes or tropical storms that stirred it up. And I feel sorry for whoever, but I was like, this breeze is great. You know, it, it was just great. And I thought about this as, it's that, that feeling that a certain season, and some of you guys are like that about summer. You just think, I like to be baked like a lobster. You know, you feel that way about summer. Fall is my season. I am a fall guy. I like for, to have that, that cool season of the year. And that's the kind of imagery he's painting here. He says, imagine that beautiful time in this hot, arid country that we live in where there's dew all over the ground everywhere and everything is cool and pleasant. So he is giving these two images to help us remember how good it is to be unified as the people of God. And this is, this is just one tiny little you know, portion out of literally hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about unity. And it's, unity is so, so important for God's people. If we get that and if we understand that, and that's a main thing, that is a very important thing, that we don't disregard it, that we value it. But what do we do about it? And I want to talk super quick about three things. First of all, we need to pray for it. Pray for unity. Jesus in John chapter 17, in that big prayer where he prays for himself, he prays for his immediate disciples, and then he prays for all of us. Because he says, I pray not only for them, but all those who will believe because of them and their word and their message. And that's us. All of us heard the words that were passed on from Jesus to the disciples. And we're part of that third part of the prayer. And in that third part of the prayer, he says, I pray, Father, that they may be one just as you and me are one. Okay, so in this last prayer before he went to the cross, this last huge prayer that's so important that he records this whole chapter of it in the Gospel of John, Jesus thought this was so important. He wanted this prayer of unity to be recorded. So you and I need to pray for unity. It's that important. Secondly, we need to practice or promote, whichever word you want to use, practice and promote unity. It's an active thing. I used to think, you know, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, I used to think that meant, oh, I guess I'm a peacemaker because I don't get in anybody else's business. You know, I stand back and I don't do anything. That's not a peacemaker. That's a pacifist. They are not the same thing. Peacemakers and pacifists are not the same. A pacifist sits back and doesn't do anything, doesn't get involved in anything ever, just, you know, lets it go by. When there's a conflict around you in relationships, you've got some choices. You can be a pacifist and just not do anything. You can be a pot stirrer, okay? You can be a pacifist. You can be a pot stirrer. You can say, oh, this looks juicy. Man, this is some great tea I just heard. This is some great gossip. I'm going to spread it. I'm going to stir it up. I'm going to get in it and make it worse. And I, I'm going to, you know, and, and there's parts of you that are going to want to get in there. And, you know, sometimes you can tell people what they want to hear. And they're going to thank you for telling them what they want to hear. And you know it's not what they need to hear. 
but it's more fun, and they'll like you more, and it's the easier thing to do to tell them just what they want to hear. And you can just get in there and stir that pot and then sit back and watch as the explosion happens. And it's very entertaining. And you have destroyed relationships that God has put together and you will account to God for that. But there is a better option than being a pacifist or a pot stirrer. You should instead be a peacemaker. You should instead be the friend who really and truly listens, but gives godly counsel, helps them try to see from other perspectives, helps to try to, to bridge things, helps to try to make the best. Not every situation can be healed completely. Even Paul said, be at peace with all men as much as it is up to you. There is only so much each person can do. The rest of it, you know, depends on other people. That is a truth, okay? But we need to do as much as we can do. We need to encourage others to do as much as they can do. And we need to be those kind of people who, don't be, who aren't passive, who aren't potsters, but who are actually peacemakers getting actively involved. Okay, so we, we pray for it, for peace. We promote and practice peace. And then we prepare to humble ourselves. We prepare to humble ourselves. Now, here's what that one's about. Guess what? It's really easy to see when someone else is causing conflict. Isn't that so? Isn't it so easy to know the answer to everyone else's problems? Isn't it so easy to know where everyone else is in the wrong? But the solution to our problems... And, and the things that we're doing wrong, we are blind to. I mean, it's so funny. Talking about blindness, I'm, I'm going to blame it on, like, like Becky said, maybe this screen isn't as bright as that one back there. I apparently need to finally listen to Suzanne and get my glasses filled, because when she showed that picture, I just thought, oh, well, there's, there's just a field with some trees in the back. I didn't even know that was little roots up in front. I just thought it was tall grass that needed to be mowed, you know. And I'm like, well, I just, I didn't even see it. I didn't know. And then she talked about roots sticking up. And I said, oh, that's my backyard. Because my mower hits every one of those roots that are standing up. But, you know, we are blind to our own problems, our own issues. All of us are really bad at seeing our problems. We're really good at seeing other people's problems. So, therefore, if we're ever going to grow, if we're ever going to get any better... It means we got to listen to others pointing out our junk. And guess what? Let's just say I'm the only one like this in this message, this sermon, this third point is just for me. I don't like listening to others tell me my problems and my junk and my issues. It is not fun. In fact, when someone gives me a warning or a heads up that they're going to talk to me about one of those issues, oh, it's not good. You ever get that, hey, um, we need to talk. What is it? I'll tell you later. Oh, all of a sudden, ooh, you know that feeling comes up. Let's talk now. No, let's just, let's just get through this, you know, this day, this week, this whenever, and then we're going to talk. You know, it don't matter if it's a boss or a spouse or a friend or whoever it is. All of a sudden, you start thinking of every possible thing that they might be trying to attack you about or say about you. 
And then the expert lawyer in you comes with all the ways to turn that around and why it's really their fault. And they better not even because you're going to tell them why it's really their fault and they're wrong. And, and, you know, all this stuff. And you've had the whole fight in your head before it's even started. And then every once in a while, they end up saying, coming, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I put you off so long. Um, I just needed you to watch out for my cat. And you're like, what? What? You know, but usually it's not that. Usually you know because of that tone of voice and that way they did it and they were all not wanting to get in it right then. And what happens? By the time the discussion, the confrontation actually takes place, you are so locked and loaded. I mean, you've got the nukes ready. I mean, you are ready to go off on them because you've worked yourself up. And the likelihood that they get through to you and that you actually have some growth as a person or individual, that likelihood is like 0.000001 cuz you're not listening. All you're doing is throwing up a defense, not just a defense, you you got a counteroffensive going on. Cuz we don't like to get hurt. Cuz we've all been hurt and we're so sensitive to hurt, we don't want to feel it. It reminds me of the story I read about 150 years ago and more that there were people who often took their own lives rather than have surgery because they didn't have anesthesia yet. And they would rather end their lives rather than go through a life-saving surgery because they didn't want to feel that pain. And all of us would say, oh, I want to grow as a person. I want to grow as a Christian. I want to grow as a father, as a mother, as a friend, as a mom, or as a dad. But you know what? Growth equals change equals pain. Change, growth always involves change, and change almost always involves pain. And we don't like pain. And so we get ready to hurt someone back before they hurt us. And so if we're really going to be peacemakers, it's not just that we pray for it. Because we're, we're all for the idea of peace. Ask any uh, beauty contestant ever, what do you want? World peace, right? Everybody wants peace. We pray for it. We can even promote it. But preparing for someone to actually call us out, preparing ourselves, humbling our hearts to be ready for instruction. That old biblical word, I don't even know if the newer translation use it, but I know the King James talks about rebuke. Man, we don't want to be rebuked. We don't want to be told that we're wrong. That's why some people never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because they don't want to be told that they're a sinner. And see, and if you don't believe you're a sinner, then you have no need of a Savior. Okay? Well, even if we can, those of us who can accept that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, okay, I can take that from God because he's God. <laughs> but it's still hard for us to take rebuke from others. And I'm telling you, I'm right here with you. That's how I can tell you all this stuff because it's hard. I'm preaching to not the choir because we don't have one right now. I'm preaching to myself. But if we're ever going to be people of peace and unity, we got to humble ourselves. We got to take off the thick shells. We got to bear our, ourselves up. And that doesn't mean we have to agree with every bit of criticism that we receive. 
But we do have to actually listen without coming back with the nukes, without trying to blast someone just when they share a difference of opinion or something about us that maybe is not exactly the way it needs to be. Because if nobody feels like they can come to us, we don't change. And guess what? If I tell you to think in your mind of somebody that's in your community or you went to school with or you work with or did work with that no one would ever confront because they went ballistic and, and they would never listen and, and so they never change. If I asked you to think of somebody like that, every single one of you can think of somebody like that. And they never changed. They never learned. Maybe, maybe eventually someone finally got tired of them and they got fired, but they didn't learn the lesson. They just moved on and complained about how ugly and mean and, and hateful all these other people over here were. And then they kept doing the same old, same old, same old thing because they never opened themselves up to listen and humble themselves so they could learn because it's really painful and we don't want to hurt. But sometimes opening ourselves up is the only way we can grow. It's almost kind of weird for me to preach this here. Uh, there, there's no perfect church, and this isn't perfect, but, man, I've been blessed here um, so much. We, we've got a very blessed church, but I tell you, no matter where we are, whether you're in a, a home or a workplace or a church or school, community, whatever, that's, that's more peaceful or less peaceful Every place that we are in society, in our world, we all have contact with other human beings, which means we all encounter conflicts. We all encounter uh, different um, times when we rub up against one another. And God wants us to value unity. He wants us to learn how to live in peace. This isn't unity at all costs, okay? If you sacrifice the gospel to get unity, then you've sacrificed the very thing you are united around. So this is not that kind of unity. This is a unity around the gospel where we love one another and we seek to be unified together. Just as Jesus said, Father, I want them and that's all of us to be unified just like we are. Pray for it. Promote it. And actually prepare. Say, God, help me to be humble enough. Help me to be ready. I know I'm not going to like it, but help me to be teachable. When my rare one and only imperfection gets pointed out by somebody, help me to be humble and to learn so that I can be more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I fail you on such a regular basis, and I am so in need of your grace. I'm so grateful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I don't stand a chance without it. None of us do. The Father, as the ultimate Father, as our Heavenly Father, you are so happy and so pleased when we get along. 
And in fact, your, world tells, your word tells us that a watching world can actually know that we're your disciples when they see us united by love for one another. So God, may we love you and one another. May we be unified, drawn together in your spirit. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.